The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Happy holidays. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Yeah? Hope you got some time to rest and be present with family. Um, I'm just curious though, did anybody get a chance this holiday season to participate in a white elephant gift exchange. Anybody? Yeah, I see some hands. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm, and I, I love this, right? Did anybody walk away with a gift and you were just like, what am I supposed to do with this? Anybody? No? Okay, one person. Like, do, do you mind? I'm curious. Do you mind, like, what was the gift? Okay, so something that smells good, like, eh, we don't, we don't even really know what it is. Yeah, so, um, cool. Uh, so I actually got to participate in a white elephant gift this year. And thanks for sharing, by the way. I appreciate that. Put you on the spot. Um, so I got to participate in a white elephant gift, and my wife and I both did. So we both walked away with gifts. I walked away with a seat cushion that goes in your car, and it's heated. So if you don't have heated seats in your car, like, which I don't, I'm like, well, I know exactly what to do with that. And then my wife walked away with a National Lampoon's mug that was from Christmas Vacation. And it's the one with like the, the moose horns on the side where, cause, yeah, so like where Cousin Eddie's drinking eggnog. And we looked at it and we said, we know exactly what to do with that. So we re-gifted it and gave it to her dad uh, because he is a huge National Lampoon's fan. His favorite movie in the world might be Christmas Vacation. Every holiday we're always talking about watching it. It was a huge hit. He loved it. Um, but I just want to tell you, if you're ever at a place and somebody asks you, hey, do you want to uh, preach on the Sunday after Christmas? Just know you're kind of signing up for the white elephant of sermons, right? <laughs> at some point when you stop to prepare and get your mind wrapped around this, you're going to say, what do I do with that, right? We just come out of Advent and we spent some time when we talked about what it means to worship fully so that we can love all. And it's not quite New Year's, right? Like we got that coming up. And then we as a church, we're about to embark on a journey and a series. And you're going to hear from a lot of different voices. And we're going to explore in the coming months what it looks like to love our neighbor or love the person that's considered the other, right? Maybe those people that are sometimes difficult to love. And you're going to get to hear hear from folks like Erica Graham next week. She's going to kick it off. And then you're going to hear from Sean. You're going to hear from Jim Doremus. We're going to explore this idea. I'm looking forward to it. So what I want to do is take today and kind of help bridge the gap where we talk about Advent and the coming of this baby, this child that changes everything. And then we're going to go into a season where we unpack this idea of what does it mean to love all, in particular love people that maybe are hard to love. And if we're going to do that, to be honest, we have to start with actually receiving and taking in love, right? Because you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you don't feel love and receive love yourself. So I wanna take a few moments today and really unpack that idea. And the place that I really want to go to unpack that idea is the book of Leviticus. And you heard that right, I'm not kidding. (laughs) Uh, I know it's a lot of work to do. It's why I wore my work boots today, right? We're gonna get in there and get after it. Um, So here's what I promise. I'm gonna give you all of my energy, all of my nerdiness, like you're gonna get all of that. And I'm going to give everything I've got to you. And I need your participation. Like, but if I sense, like, okay, this is too much nerdiness, like, we'll just land the plane, celebrate communion, and have, like, get to lunch. You guys cool with that? All right, so let's do this. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Would you pray with me? 
Father, we are so grateful for your coming into this world, that you stepped in, that you moved in, and that you're here with us. And as we are in this space, we recognize and acknowledge that you are with us. So as we pause and we reflect, as we open these scriptures, may this not be a story or words or rituals that are from long ago and have nothing to do with us. May they be your voice speaking into our soul, making things right and whole again. God, I ask that you would pour through me the gift of teaching so that we can understand our role in seeing your kingdom come on this earth just as it is in heaven. And we ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So, you're going to find out I'm a huge nerd. Um, and I recently stumbled across some resources uh, that are particularly Jewish, right? Like I've found some writings and some teachings from some rabbis. And I found a whole lot of things that I just never knew existed, right? And I feel like it's kind of like those 3D pictures that were so big in the 90s. You guys remember these? Like you'd be walking in the mall and there'd be this person in the kiosk and they got this picture and then like you're staring at it and it looks like a picture of your neighbor's carpet. And you like, but like the more you stare at it and you kind of do this, all of a sudden like a 3D object, like a dolphin or a shark or a space shuttle or something would pop out. You guys remember this? I feel like supposedly there's a shark in there. I don't know. It looks like carpet. But uh, this is kind of how I have felt about the book of Leviticus in the past six months where it's like before I would just look at it, I'd just look at carpet. Like, I don't know what to do with that. I don't even want that. I want a new one, right? But then all of a sudden, it's like something has popped out, and now I can't see anything but that. And what I see is God's overwhelming grace and love. And so what I want to do today is unpack some of those things that I've been learning, that have been churning and stirring it with me. One of the things that started all this is that I discovered that we call the book of Leviticus the book of Leviticus, but there's a whole lot of people for centuries and thousands of years who have called that book by a completely different name. And it's actually likely that Jesus didn't ever refer to it as Leviticus, that he called it by its Hebrew name. And that name is Vayikra. Ecclesia, can I hear you say Vayikra? Okay, you guys are with me. All right, I like it. So Vayikra is literally just the first word of the book of Leviticus, and it means, and God called to Moses. So it opens with, and God called to Moses from the tent of meeting. But there's something interesting happening with the tense of this verb, God called. It's a continuous tense, which means that essentially what it's saying is, and God continued calling Moses from the tent of meeting. So Right off the bat, what you see is this is not a, its own succinct chapter movement like, hey, we did this stuff in Exodus, we did this stuff in Genesis, now we're doing something new. This is season three, right? And in order to really understand what's happening in season three, you got to know what's happening in season two and you got to know what's happening in season one. So really quickly, season one, Genesis, starts with chaos and darkness. And God steps in and he speaks, he breathes. And he begins to separate and divide things. He distinguishes, he names, and 
you separate the, the waters from each other. You have sky, you have sea, and then you separate the seas further. You have land, you have sea, you have fruit, you have all kinds of things. God is creating, and it takes him six days, and then on the seventh day, he rests. And keep in mind that seven, because it's going to come up later. But he crowns his creation with us, human beings, you and me. And he's been saying it's good all up until this point, but whenever he creates us, he now says it's very good. But it doesn't take long for us to begin to mess up what God has ordered and created. And it's not long into the story before we're killing each other and we're starting wars and people are uh, dying and starving and we're greedy and all this kind of stuff. And so God starts working through plans to fix the mess, to reorder, to recreate what's happening. And after a couple of ideas, he lands on a big idea. And the big idea is there's this man named Abram. And he says to Abram, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, I'm going to bless all people. And so he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And then the story begins to follow his family. So you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then it goes to Joseph. Now, what you need to know about Joseph is he was kind of arrogant in his younger days, right? <laughs> so I don't know what kind of family dynamics you had going on on the holidays, but his family dynamics are he got sold by his 11 brothers into slavery. So, like, I don't know about you, but we didn't have that much drama in my house over the holidays. <laughs> so he gets sold by his brothers into slavery. He goes down to Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, because of God's grace and God's timing, he ends up in a space where he's able to interpret a dream for the king, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh had this dream of a famine that was coming. Now, we don't know, necessarily understand and connect or resonate with a famine, but picture like he has a dream of the zombie apocalypse, right? That's essentially the level of destruction that's about to take place. And Joseph's able to not only interpret, that's what you dreamed about, that's coming, but oh, by the way, here's, how you, here's what we do to avoid it, to fix it. <laughs> so Joseph's able to stave off the zombie apocalypse, and he's able to save every person in the world, including his family that sold him into slavery. And so Genesis starts with chaos and darkness and nothing, and it ends with God blessing all people through this one family. But like any good season, any good show, season two quickly takes a turn. So there's a new king who comes into power, and he says, forget that. Here's all these people. They are now going to be mine. I'm the king. You're my slaves. You belong to me. You will make me bricks. You will go get the stuff to make the bricks. You're ungrateful, and I'm going to show you. I'm going to put you in your place. This is what's going to happen. So for 400 years, he oppresses, and the Egyptians oppress and enslave this group of people. And then in chapter 3, God calls, God vayikras to Moses from a burning bush, and then things start to change, right? So you have the plagues. You have the Red Sea where they part through on dry ground. They go to Mount Sinai. They get the Ten Commandments. Is Moses looking like Charlton Heston to anybody else right now? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you got the Ten Commandments, and then they keep moving. And eventually Exodus ends with the setting up of the tabernacle. Now, I got to tell you, if you go right now and you go to Exodus chapter 40 and you read about the setting up of the tabernacle, you're going to get really bored really fast. Because what is going on is there's a particular phrase that gets repeated over and over and over again. And that phrase is, and Moses did exactly as the Eternal instructed him. Now what's going on 
is these Jewish writers are really artistic, they're really subtle, they're really crafty. That phrase gets repeated, if you go through and count it, it gets repeated eight times. It appears in that passage eight times. The first time is to say, Moses did everything that the internal instructed, exactly it is, and then it breaks down to, but this is how he went about it. And then it counts out seven different steps that Moses takes to set up the tent of meeting. Now, if you remember, anytime you hear the word or hear the number seven, it's going back to season one where God creates the world. He orders the world in seven days. So what the writer is saying is that it is ending with a recreating of the world, a reordering of the world through this people, through the tent of meeting, right? We come to this season, it's saying, hey, there can be a new day. There's a new week or a new year. And there's something that is continuously happening, right? As we enter this season, what is God continuously calling us into? What's the momentum that has started last year that needs to continue? Or what's the new thing that God wants to do and start in us, in our lives this year? That's the conversation that's taking place. So let's pick it up in Leviticus chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 1. And it says, The Eternal One called to Moses that Vayikra continued calling Moses and addressed him from the congregation tent. And the eternal one said, Moses, I want you to go talk with the Israelites and tell them how to perform ritual offerings. Anytime one of you brings an offering to me, you must bring the offering from the animals of either the herd or the flock. If you are bringing a burnt offering from your herd, Then you are to pick an unblemished bull. No diseased, weak, or injured animals are allowed. Offer it at the entrance to the congregation tent so that I can accept it. So we're going to stop there. We're three verses in. And there's another word that's present. Now, one of the resources that I discovered... Hold on, I need a sip of coffee. You guys feeling okay? You need some coffee too? Anybody? Yep. Um, so one of the things I discovered is this resource called BibleHub.com. So BibleHub.com lets you put up what's called interlinear Bibles, right? So what it does is you can either do the Greek or the Hebrew, which those were the original languages that the Bible was written in. So you can put up the Hebrew, and then it's got the Hebrew writing on it, and then just below it, it has the, the English translation. It's all hyperlinked. You can click on it. It takes you all over the place. You can see where else that word appears. Now, I got to warn you, if you're going to go to BibleHub.com and you do the, the Hebrew interlinear Bible, you're going to, like, this is backwards. What is happening, right? Because you're going to want to read it left to right, but Hebrew reads right to left. So literally, if you read it left to right like you're used to, you're reading the text backwards. <laughs> so if you go there, start here and go that way. But at the end of verse 3 in Leviticus chapter 1, there's this word that is pronounced lertzeno. Ecclesia, let me hear you say lertzeno. Okay, good. You guys are still with me. So this word is a word that has multiple meanings or multiple translations. It's kind of like the way we throw around words like balance, right? Sometimes you balance your checkbook. But then sometimes, like, you need balance. You need, like, an equilibrium, right? You need, like, a center of gravity. It has multiple meanings. This word often gets translated as so that I may accept your offering. 
But it can also very literally, and if you go to Bible Hub, it will put the literal translation where it says, of his own free will. So what it's saying is that there's this relationship, there's this interplay with if you bring these kind of offerings, you're bringing it of your own free will. It's not required. It's not what I'm demanding of you. And at the same time, there's a relationship. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to take it in. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So what you see is in this passage, God is creating a clear distinction, right? Remember season two? There's Pharaoh who calls himself a God who says to the people of Israel, I own you. You will bring me bricks, right? I'm requiring this of you. And then in season three, you've got a different God who calls himself by a different name who says, no, 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 that's not the way. You are free, and I love you, and I have set you free, and you have free will, and I will accept you, right? It's that distinction. It's that distinguishing. It is saying, I'm different than that. I am set apart. I am holy, if you will. It's kind of like this. This past week, I got to go running while we were visiting family in, in Mississippi. So I got to go run with my old running crew. Uh, and it's always good to see them and just get out there and get sweaty together. And then you can talk and stuff while you're on the run. And one of my favorite people to run with in Mississippi is a guy named David. And part of the reason why I love David is he's that guy that talks all kinds of trash and all kinds of noise all the time. You guys have this friend in your life? And it's kind of fun to watch it unfold, especially if there's somebody that drops into the running crew and they're new, so they don't really know David, right? So he's talking trash and they're like, what? Like, he's totally ripping on me. Like, what's it? like how do I take this? And you can kind of watch it unfold. It's, it's a lot of fun, actually. So on Friday morning uh, in Jackson, there's uh, a local running store that puts on a run called the Coffee Run. And so everybody meets at 6.30 at a coffee shop and we run about a 30-minute route and then you come back, and then you get free coffee. So, like, that's a win, right? Like, let's go run together, and then free coffee. So a lot of folks from Jackson show up. So I got to go to the coffee run on Friday, and I see David there, and, like, I'm catching up with some old friends. There's plenty of folks that I don't recognize. Well, David and I are talking, and we didn't realize that everybody left. So then we're like, oh, well, we need to go. So, like, we start at the back, um, and we start catching people, and we start passing them. And about halfway through the, the run, I notice there's two ladies that are ahead of us running in a group. And I recognize the one on the right, and I know, like, she is capital F-A-S-T fast. So she ran a marathon in under three hours and five minutes. And if I just threw out a bunch of numbers, you're like, I don't know what that means. It means that she ran a seven-minute mile for 26.2 miles in a row without stopping. So when I say she is fast, I mean she is fast, right? And she's got somebody running with her, so I'm assuming, like, hey, that person's fast too. So David picks up on it, and he says to me as we're coming up, he says, hey, these ladies are actually faster than us, so as we pass them, you better not say anything. But it was almost like as soon as the words came out of his mouth, you could start to hear, like, the gears turning in his head, like, oh, my gosh, this is a great chance for me to talk some smack. So... We pass them, and David starts talking some smack, right, about how much faster we are 
than they are. And it was clear, like, I was like, whoa, I have no part of this, right? So I'm peeking over my shoulder and I'm saying, nope, <laughs> like, that's David, right? That's, those are David's words, David's ideas. Like, I'm over here, I'm running with him, but that's not my thing, right? That's kind of what's happening. It's like when you're in that meeting and somebody throws out an idea and everybody scatters and says, oh, no, no, we don't want to do that. We're not going down with a ship. That's Kevin's idea, right? <laughs> What's happening here is God saying, I am not like those other gods that you know and that you remember. I am different, I am distinct, I am separate. So Ecclesia, if you find yourself in a place where you're walking on eggshells around a God because you're afraid that he's gonna smite you or that he's angry and he's just waiting for a moment to send you straight to hell, that's not God. That's Pharaoh. That's the old regime. That's someone else. That's the accuser. That's the oppressor. This is a God who says, I love you. I've set you free. And I accept you. There's another word in there in those first three verses where it says, and you offer it. It's the Hebrew word korban, right? Ecclesia, let me hear you say korban. Okay, still with me. I like it. So um, korban, uh, the root of this word is the word draw near. That literally what God is saying is, I want you to come close. I want you to draw near. And here's how you can do that. And so he walks through five different types of sacrifices. So the first three are what are called free will offerings. They're not required. This is what you do if you feel grateful or you feel at peace or you want to express that you've got some sort of relationship. So the first one is called the Ola. It's the burnt offering. Now, if you go around and say Ola to people, they're going to think, oh, you're so friendly. Like you're saying hello to everybody, right? But the Ola is O-L-A-H. It's the burnt offering. And it literally is this is what you do when you feel grateful for something. Picture a group of people who have been slaves, who have been owned. They've been treated like furniture or tools, something to be used, and now they are free, and they can choose how to live, how to act. Do you think they might have a need to express that gratitude? These sacrifices, these rituals were a gift. One of the rabbis says, I think it's, um, do we have that quote? I can't remember the quote. Yeah, there we go. Um, This is from Rabbi Jeffrey. He, uh, He says, the sacrifices were not for God. They were ways to elevate the individual and help the individual in his or her quest for holiness. These were a gift. This was to say, if you find yourself in a place where you feel grateful, here's how you express it. So there was the ola, the burnt. There was the minha, the grain offering. So again, when you would harvest grain, in the past, in the old regime, the old system, everything you did, all the work, all the fruit of your labor, it went to somebody else. It built their empire, it built their regime. But now when you gather and you take in a harvest, that grain is yours and you get to feed your family with it or you get to build your own sense of wealth. Can you see how they might have a sense of there's something good happening here. There's something to be grateful for and I want to share this with other people. So that's the minha. There's the the peace offering. It's called the shalomim, right? If you listen to that word, it carries with it shalom. This idea of wholeness, of things being made, brought back together, that which was broken being made back together. 
the idea of atonement goes with these sacrifices. And if you break down atonement, it literally means at one. That that which is broken is now being mended. It's being brought back together. And then you got two other sacrifices. There's the sin offering and then the guilt offering. Now these aren't necessarily the free will offerings. This is what you do when either you as a whole community find we've messed up or like you find out like, hey, I did this thing and it, it really hurt my neighbor, right? Can you imagine how a group of people who have never owned anything now own things and now they're living in proximity with other people who are owning things for the first time might have a hard time and might do some things that somehow offend somebody else. And here's the gift for them to say, if you find yourself in that situation, this is how you make it right again. This is how you live at peace with your neighbor again. And then finally, there's the guilt offering, where this is to say, if you live or carry any guilt, we're going to take it away. We're going to burn it up. You're going to feel the fire. You're going to feel the warmth of it. You're going to see the flame. You're going to smell the smoke of it. And you're going to see that that guilt is gone. It's no longer present. That these ideas, this was about helping a group of people orient their life around gratitude, around wholeness, around justice, about making things right, and about leaving behind things like guilt. So, you know, this, this Christmas, I got a, I got a, actually it was my birthday, I think, I got a, I got a card from my mom. And w- one of the things you need to know about me, or you'll figure out soon enough, is that I absolutely love shoes. All kinds of shoes, particularly sneakers, all about it. You know, it's kind of a thing. Uh, I, a couple of years ago, I, I decided I was going to go a whole year without buying a pair of shoes. And there were people that I worked with at Apple that were like, you won't make it, <laughs> right? Not going to happen. I, I am kind of obsessed. But uh, when she gave me the card, uh, it had a picture of some sneakers on it, and so I noticed right off the bat. And when I opened the card, uh, there was almost like an apology of, I'm so sorry that uh, I didn't notice how much you liked shoes. And you could almost feel the guilt in the writing. You know what I'm talking about? That man, like, and I wondered, how long has she been carrying this? And so I'm sitting there, and I just knew I just have to name this. Like, hey, Mom, I, I never felt like, like you, you didn't know this, right? I never felt that way. But I wonder for how many of us, how many times do we carry around that guilt? How many times do we hold on to it? And our God is a God who says, I want you to get rid of that. I want you to burn it up. Because there's more to the story. Right? He's holy and he's inviting us into this. I want us to look ahead to Leviticus 19 and then we'll end with some practical things that we can do. Right? So if you look ahead, the reason that it's so important for us to gain and receive and accept this love from God who says, I, I set you free, I'm with you, I accept you, is that it invites us into a space where we get to participate in the recreating and the reordering of the entire world. So listen to what he says in Leviticus 19, verse 1. It says, The Eternal One spoke to Moses, Go talk with the community of Israel and tell them that they are to be holy. For I, the Eternal One, your God, am holy. I want all of you to honor your mothers and fathers and keep my Sabbaths, for I am the Eternal, your God. 
Do not turn from me to follow useless idols or cast metal images of other gods, for I am the eternal, your God. Again, he's saying, I'm different. I am set apart. I'm not like those other regimes. I'm not like that empire. I'm not like that God. I am holy. Well, look how it continues to play out. So in verse 9, let's skip ahead. It says, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not gather the grain all the way to the edges of your fields or pick up what was overlooked during the first round of harvesting. Likewise, do not strip the vines bare in your vineyard or gather the fallen grapes. Leave the fallen fruit and some grapes on the vine for the poor and strangers living among you. For I am the eternal, your God. Again, he's saying, I'm different. And I'm ordering a different way to operate and to live in the world. That word holy is a Hebrew word, kadosh. Ecclesia, let me hear you say kadosh. Kadosh, Kadosh. there you go. This word pops up all the time. In Isaiah, whenever he has a vision and there's the heavenly creatures and they're saying, holy, 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 it's literally kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. It carries this idea of being set apart, distinct, different. And he invites us into that. But it's not in a sense of the point is not to be holier than thou. The point is not to be self-righteous and look down on everyone and everything else. The point is actually to uplift and to recreate, to rehumanize everything and all of creation because he is not like those other regimes that oppress. It's not like the Buddha of the empire that keeps others down, right? That's the kind of life, that's the kind of holiness that he invites us into. Let's keep looking. So verse 13 and 14, it says, do not mistreat your neighbor or steal from him. Do not keep the payment of a hired hand overnight, but compensate him for the work at the end of the day. Do not mock the disabled by shouting a curse at a deaf person or putting something in the way to trip up the blind. Instead, honor and fear your God. I am the eternal one. Again, this idea of holiness, it's, not, it's connected to not just how you treat others, but how we treat others is a direct reflection of how we honor and respect and see is God different than those other regimes that oppress and demean and devalue other people. And lastly, in verse 17, it says, do not harbor a deep hatred for any of your relatives. Anybody feeling that after the holidays and spending some week with with people? If your neighbor is doing something wrong, correct him or else you could be held responsible for his sin, right? I got, I got this friend uh, that I worked with at Apple, and I always loved him because uh, he was the guy that if I had a booger in my nose or I had something in my face, he would tell me every single time, right? <laughs> Other folks, he didn't necessarily know. And then I'd be like, well, what was the deal? I know you saw it. Like, why didn't you say anything, right? This is essentially the kind of thing it's talking about. It's saying don't let somebody else walk into shame or don't let somebody else walk into harm. Be the one who speaks up and honors them and says, hey, I think you could do this differently. I think this is going to harm you down the road. And he says, do not seek revenge or hold a grudge against any of your people. Instead, love your neighbor as you love yourself, for I am the eternal one. Ecclesia, my hope is that you begin to see that yes, these stories in this book is ancient. It's thousands of years old, but there is so much for us to work through. 
there is so much for us to say, I want to figure that out this year. So really quickly before we, as we wrap up, I want to give you just a few ways that I think we can practically practice some of these things about orienting ourselves around gratitude, around wholeness, around justice, and getting rid of guilt. So this idea of the, the, the burnt offering of practicing gratitude, I think we have a way of doing this in our culture. Um, and I think I see it really clearly in Instagram, right? So what happens is you're at a meal or you're with your family and something happens and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to take a picture of this and then I'm going to write a blog post about like how awesome this thing was and then I'm going to put hashtag blessed at the end, right? Anybody tracking? So, um, and I think there's actually something really good about that. Um, I have this app called TimeHop that helps me see what I've posted um, in years past or helps me see photos I've taken on my phone. And so if I go in today, it'll show, this is what you took last year. This is what you took three years ago. This is what you took, right? And it helps me remember and relive those emotions and that gratitude. But if I'm honest, there are plenty of times whenever I'm posting stuff on Instagram and then it turns and it becomes, well, how many likes did I get? Did I get enough? They're not coming in fast enough. Maybe I need to post it again, right? Why did this person get more likes than I did? Are they more articulate than I do? You know, like it becomes this completely other thing and it actually begins to serve and make me feel more broken and more fragmented as opposed to more whole and more grateful. Anybody else like tracking? So if you don't struggle with that, keep going with Instagram. That's cool. But like for me, so like one of the things like I've found myself doing is just taking a photo, copying it in my notes, and then just writing that out and saying, this is what I'm grateful for, right? Or sending it directly to the person that I want to say thankful, th- say I'm thankful to. What if we did that and it helped us actually lean into the sense of practicing gratitude this year? So the others uh, around wholeness, um, we, we talk all, of, all the time about being hospitable, right? Like, what if we practiced this year and we were intentional about inviting others into our homes and sharing meals, not just for the meal portion, but also to find a chance to say, can I tell you what has been good this year? Can I tell you what's being made whole, what's being brought back together, and to find time around the table to have those kind of conversations? And the last thing I I think is this idea of how do we deal with our guilt? And so maybe it's something as simple as when you're in that place and you can feel it, you can just feel the guilt or the twinge of like, oh, I don't want to remember that thing. I don't want to remember that. Maybe it's as simple as writing it down on a piece of paper and then starting a campfire or, you know, put it in the fireplace or wherever that is or if it's safe, you know, just light it where it's at because there's something tactile about this. There's something about seeing the flame, about feeling the heat, about smelling the smoke and knowing this thing is completely vanishing. It's completely going away. There's something about that that begins to register and connect deep in our souls. So Ecclesia, may we be a people this year who practice and orient our lives around gratitude, around wholeness, around justice, and around ridding ourselves and those around us of guilt. I think this is why Jesus stepped in, is to declare once and for all I'm going to offer myself, right? I'm going to core bond. I'm going to draw near. I'm going to give 
so that your guilt, your shame can be dealt with and gone once and for all. Ecclesia, will you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful that you are a God who draws near to us, that you come close, that you dwell in our midst, up close and personal, but yet you are so distinguished and different than the other things we encounter and see in this world. And we ask that today, as we take time to remember your gift, your offering, your body, which was broken for us, and your blood, which was shed for us, that as we remember these gifts, that you would help us to receive your love and that grace, that you would help us see the spaces and time where we can step in and be a part of your recreating and reorienting of the whole world. So God, be with us as we pause and we celebrate and we give thanks for the gift of your life on our behalf. And we ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ectasiahouston.org.